this is the greatest opportunity I've been given thus far in my career. And it's been such a dream of mine to create my own series. It feels so exciting. I don't know that I'm like ready to retire, but I am tired. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Bitch Talk. I'm your host, Aaron, here with my co-host, Ange, aka Captain Party, and our producer, Shar. And over the last 10 years, we've been elevating marginalized voices through interviews and events. Sometimes over a glass of whiskey. But if you're thirsty for more bitches, find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. A big thank you to 48 Hills and our listeners for voting us Best of the Bay Best Podcast in 2022. And now, on with the show. Doctors, we are uh, zooming in with a, a friend of the show, I would say. Her name's Zoe Lister-Jones. She is the director, writer, and showrunner of the upcoming Roku Channel show, Slip, debuting on April 21st. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. Of course. Um, as we do with all of our directors uh, and uh, producers, actors, can you please tell our audience what Slip is? Slip is a television series that follows May Cannon, who, um, when we meet her, is sort of trapped inside a marriage <laughs> that um, she's feeling quite stuck within. And um, one night she cheats on her husband and wakes up the next morning to discover that she's now married to the dude she cheated on her husband with. And over the course of the season, <laughs> realizes that um, through orgasm, she's being transported into the multiverse and launched into all of her parallel lives and relationships. As you do. Yeah. It's a natural progression. Yes. <laughs> I mean, for a lot of women, maybe they would never transform into another life because you need the orgasm first. But anyways, right. um, Zoe, this show is so much fun to watch. I just want to say that first. I I grew up loving shows like Quantum Leap and things like that. And even though you remain in your own body, it just was was so exciting with uh, what each episode would bring. Um, So I want to know just kind of what kind of headspace you were in when you came up with the concept for this show, because it's like Quantum Leap meets Buddhism. I mean, it's it's sexy in some moments. It's just there's so much to it. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, I conceived the show probably a year, a year, year and a half before quarantine. And I think for me, I always start with like a central question that I'm trying to contend with in my own personal life. And, and for Slip, I think the big question is really like, what do you do with that eternal restlessness that's kind of always playing us and, and the desire for more. And, um, and I think um, I wanted to create a show that could explore those questions uh, for women, particularly through the lens of sex and sexual intimacy. Um, And I also am a person who like really uh, lives in I live in reality too, but, but there's a a big part of me that like loves to, to, to play with fantasy in my own life. It's like my own coping mechanism. And, and I wanted to see what would, what it would look like if, um, if I got to actually play out fantasies, um, because I think so often, you know, we're all tortured by the grass always being greener. And so what, what would it look like if we got to live on the other side of the fence, uh, 
you know, on someone else's grass and, and the bleak realities, <laughs> oftentimes comedic, of what those relationships would look like. This show felt very cathartic. Is that how it felt for you doing all of the things that you did for it? Coming, I mean, you kind of filmed during and coming out of the pandemic, all of it. So can mm -hmm. you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it's a, a narrative told through a fantastical lens, but it is a deeply personal narrative for me. And so there was a lot of catharsis in even just in the writing process. You know, I wrote all seven episodes in quarantine when those questions uh, that sort of launched the idea for me became so much louder. Um, and, uh, and so writing was really a lifeline. And then Roku, bless them, allowed me to really just make the show of my dreams. Um, they, they gave me so much artistic freedom. Um, that production was also an incredible opportunity. I think, I think the nature of me wearing all the hats <laughs> is, uh, is that in every role that I play, there's sort of a different element of catharsis that, you know, as a writer, there's sort of a diaristic element of catharsis. And that as an actor, I get to embody that catharsis, um, which is really exciting. And, and, um, and I hope that it provides catharsis for viewers, you know, like, I think I wanted to make something that obviously stemmed from, from a personal query, but that was really universal in nature. Yeah, I think also from a just a human level, you were just really able to say, hmm, I want to see what it's like to marry a really hot musician and just live <laughs> that life. Or maybe I want to hook up with, you know, one day this. So you really got to kind of check off some some marks on your list. Totally. Yeah. Now <laughs> real life, which is uh, whew, what a relief. <laughs> uh. But I wanted to get back to um, just the Buddhism aspect of the show, because I found that really interesting, too. Was that always going to be a major concept or, or through line for you? Yeah, I was reading a lot about desire through um, like a Buddhist framework when I when I was conceiving of the show. And I found it really interesting because I mean, any spiritual practice, but but Buddhism specifically is so much about what to do with these feelings of more, of wanting more, right? Like with the craving and and the archetype of the hungry ghost, which is a, a through line throughout the show of this sort of insatiable um, hunger that we are all wrestling with all the time. That's that's at the core of any addiction. Um, but I, you know, I've never been struggled with, with substance abuse addiction, but we're all, I believe we're all addicts in, in one way or another, whatever we're, whatever we use to fill the void. <laughs> um, and so Buddhism was for me a way to try and navigate those feelings. Um, but there's a lot of questions in Buddhism around like renouncing desire and, and that the renunciation of desire is what we need to do to, to quiet those voices. Um, but I wanted to see what would happen if it was also about leaning into that desire in order to face some of those uglier parts or or loud parts that I think, especially in quarantine, like when we were so isolated and and um, and having to face ourselves in such a new and profound way. Yeah, Buddhism was was a helpful tool, and uh, and I liked it being some sort of guide for May on her journey. I thought another through line besides the Buddhism was the best friend slash sister played mm -hmm. by is it Tamika Tafari, correct? 
Safara, yeah. Safara. And um, I loved that she was always there for May, no matter what situation it was. Can you talk about that decision in, in your writing? I think for me, I mean, it's obviously a journey of romance and sexuality for May, but at the core of it, I wanted there to be a friendship that was really May's anchor because I think those are the constants in a person's life that keep us. I mean, if you're lucky enough to have great friends, you know, that, that keep us honest with ourselves and keep us, you know, that, that serve as like mirrors, I think. And Gina as a character really does serve um, May in that way and, and really forces May to look at how selfish, you know, she can be. And, and I wanted May to be a very flawed character and that Gina um, was the only person who could really call her on her shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's Gina's just played so brilliantly by Tamika Tafari and, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and she's hilarious and, and wild. And in every universe she's also embodying a different career but i think the yeah the the through line of these two people no matter where may lands still being best friends was important allegorically but also like story wise for me i'd like to think that maybe aaron would be my constant if i uh, was uh, same going same. through an orgasm <laughs> kind of uh, thing i don't know <laughs> okay that we got to go to therapy for that <laughs> anyway um <laughs> Yeah, on a personal level, just it brought up just so much about relationships. To I'll, I'll admit, I have a problem with commitment, or I'm just like I, I don't really like to commit if I don't have to. Um, and Aaron, on the other hand, is married, so um, it brought it brings up these ideas of how do you keep a relationship fresh, or maybe that's not what it's about. You know, for me, one of the conclusions I came to is like this is what happens when you depend on someone else for your happiness instead of really focusing on your own personal growth. So um, what, what did, what did you, what kind of conclusions has this helped you come to Zoe? And maybe Aaron, if you want to follow up with what does it make you think of your marriage and how to, you know, face it in yeah. a healthy way. Go there. Let's go there. Oh. You didn't know I was going to be. I knew this was going to be a therapy session, Zoe. <laughs> Thanks. Just, it all brought it out. Okay. <laughs> um. I think there's a larger theme of home throughout Slip, which is maybe a a broader way to look at where we find our sense of internal safety and and security. And so much of, I think, what we are programmed to do is to to look for that in other people. Um, And I think for May's journey, it is about trying to find that sense of um, safety in herself. I think for Zoe's journey, <laughs> I'm on a parallel track. Um, you know, and I think, but I think that's the hardest thing to do. You know, there's so much talk of inner child work and reparenting, but there, there is like a screaming child within all of us that is grappling with a sense of, of um, danger, you know, that might not be correlating to where we are presently. And so like shifting that for ourselves of how we get out of old patterns or old ideas about mm-hmm. who we are, or who we can trust or who we can't trust, I think are the hardest things to do, but, but so important. 
Do I have to answer that question? (laughs) (laughs) You want to pour a little bit of wine before you answer that? No, I got, I mean, watching slip, it was, um, I kind of done all of those lives to be really honest. And Ange knows that I just, I mean, it's called bitch talk. Uh, I I've, I've cheated on, I've been the person that was the person that was cheating with, uh, I've been with a woman, uh, all of those things. And then I don't know, I just, now I'm married and, but I'm older and I don't know if I'm wiser, but, uh, found the person, but it took a journey. Yeah. It took a journey. Um, and a journey that I uh, do not regret. So anyways, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> and I had fun and I cried and all of the things. Um, I wanted to ask you, oh, well, because we covered Band-Aid and you were singing in that, of course. Huh? How did you land on I'll Be Watching You by the police? It was beautiful. And when is your album coming out? <laughs> <laughs> that song, I guess maybe it, Thematically, it felt like um, like it, even though it's a it's a creepy song that also feels maybe like there's a stalker involved. It right. is about a sort of like I was looking at it as a, a little bit of um, a larger ephemeral presence, like shepherding May somewhere. It, it, you know, my character sings that song in, in the final episode um, when she's sort of at her lowest point. And I think it is about her finding or trying to find her voice. I think the whole series is about her trying to become embodied, which I think, especially as a woman in her late thirties is like a very, was a very important thing for me to, to look at what a sexual awakening looks like um, at that, at that time. And then I think by the final episode, it is also about integrating voice and body and, and, um, and the idea that, um, she's taken care of by, you know, that every step she takes, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's something holding her. Um, and then in the final, the, the final moments of, of the show, I also, um, the, the song is a cover of, of Cheryl Crow's If It Makes You Happy That I Am Singing. Mm. <laughs> mm. Sprinkle some of my, um, some of my singing in there. An album, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to, but uh, terrifying. Just do a little tour. Come to the city. Uh, yeah. yeah. A little piano bar tour, maybe. Yeah. That could be fun. Oh, I play the ukulele. I'll give you a good price. Okay, yes. We can go on tour. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, since since you brought up Band-Aid, Erin, I do want to talk about how exciting it is to see you able to wear all these hats again and have so much creative freedom with your work. and. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it took for you to get to this point? And do you feel like you're where you want to be? Do you feel like I've made it in my career and, and I want to keep doing this? Or do you feel like you still have to kind of struggle and fight for every opportunity? It's always a fight. <laughs> and I don't say that to discourage people. I, I say it to encourage people to know that at every stage um, it's a battle. but. Um, does require a certainly a level of fortitude, but also I guess I feel very clear on the stories that I want to be telling. And there are so many no's. I mean, with Slip as well, with Band-Aid, there were so many no's before there was a yes. Um, and, and when you are receiving those no's, it's hard not to let 
um, that impact your sense of confidence um, as an artist. And, and so somehow I've, you know, I think I, I like to learn from no's, but I also try to not let them gatekeep my tenacity mm-hmm. as an artist um, because it takes so much tenacity. And, um, and I think me wearing all of the hats is in some ways a response to how difficult it is, you know, to get jobs. It's like, I create the work for myself, right. As a writer, director, and actor, you know, when I, when I do these projects, um, I've obviously been given many opportunities that I'm grateful for. And this is the greatest opportunity I've been given thus far in my career. And it's been such a dream of mine to create my own series. So, um, yeah, it, it feels so exciting. Um, I don't know that I'm like ready to retire, but I am tired. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, we're going to have to wrap in just a minute. I do want to bring up. Um, we saw a good person because we interviewed Zach Braff. Mm. Had no idea you were in it. <laughs> no, I, and what a wonderful surprise it was. Yes. Um, and for on a personal level, we did lose a, a really good friend of ours who's also a pad, podcaster uh, to addiction last year. So it hit home and it, it hit all the notes and it was so good. But can you talk a little bit about being a part of that film and and uh, what it's brought maybe to uh, people that you've talked to about it? Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience to work with Zach as a writer director and Florence Pugh as an actor, obviously Morgan Freeman, Molly Shannon. It's an incredible cast. Um, And so I just felt so lucky to be a part of it. And yeah, I mean, it's a story of addiction that I think is um, really unapologetically raw, um, but also has so much empathy, you know, and I think that is such a, an important part of that conversation is, is to feel, yeah, a a lack of judgment in those scenarios for people who are really struggling in order to get them to a a state of, of recovery um, and wellness. But um, it's such a beautiful film. Uh, I think it's a really moving film and I hope that it speaks to, people who are struggling themselves and friends and family of those who are struggling with addiction. Cause um, it's obviously an epidemic and, and something that I think people have a hard time talking about. Well, it's been a pleasure seeing you again. We're so happy you're doing all this work. I know you're tired, but we're, we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. We want season two Yeah, <laughs> with more singing and we're working uh, on season two. I've, I've written. Are you? Yeah. Uh, uh, of course you have. But uh, with with an amazing, I wrote season one by myself. Season two, I got a, a mini writer's room, which was such a dream. An incredible. Mm. I got to work with. Um, and so, yeah, we'll wait for the green light from Roku. But uh, but we do have the scripts locked and loaded. Well, I hope you get a vacation wow. in before that all happens. <laughs> <laughs> We've been speaking with the director, writer, showrunner of Slip. Her name's Zoe Lister-Jones. It, uh, it'll premiere on the Roku channel on April 21st. And we're so happy to have you back on Bitch Talk. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, Zoe. So nice to see you again. Thanks for joining us on today's show. You can find more information about this episode in our show notes. If you're missing us, you can visit us at bitchtalkpodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter and buy us a cup of coffee. 
Did you know we're also on the radio? You can find us at BFF.FM. And lastly, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. All the cool bitches are doing it. is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.